right, everybody. Welcome to a, another episode of our COVID updates, uh, pandemic updates. With uh, today, you have Drew and Tanner. Andy is missing. Oh, he, he's MIA. He's definitely MIA. Um, I'm sure he's doing things that are more important than sitting podcasting. But uh, Drew, how you doing, man? You got a really sweet mustache now. <laughs> Yeah, my mustache is starting to rock. Um, it's going to stay on until this pandemic is over, uh, because at which point the, the beard's coming back. Good. I, can't, I can't wait for my beard to come I back. I can't wait either. My face is so cold, and, and my chin is so large, and I just need the beard to hide it all again. <laughs> How um, you doing, bud? Oh, not too bad. You know, I'm in the middle of a string of night shifts right now. It's been, uh, been different, been weird. The, the constant ominous feeling is still there though so you were just telling me that you had the lowest volume ever on a shift overnight last night yeah yeah super strange uh and very weird especially for someone uh like an er doc who's used to moving quickly and having lots of things to do all the time but to me that is a good sign it's a good sign that people are doing what they're told which is stay home and stay safe and uh, and hopefully that means that we're doing our social distancing enough to uh, prevent uh, any major bump in our healthcare coverage. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously we're we're practicing in Ohio. Um, I think we've we've done our part. We've flattened or, or flattened. We haven't flattened yet. We are flattening the curve. And part of flattening the curve is actually delaying the cases, at least based on all the modeling. So you know we're expected to start peaking here in another ten days or so. Um, the last time I saw the model, um, that might even be pushed back a little farther. And each time the model pushes back farther, the the peak becomes less and less steep. We're talking more like Appalachian Mountains as opposed to Rockies uh, right now. Which is normally not my preference in terms of ranking of mountains, but uh, in this scenario, absolutely. Yeah, and please, um, listeners, don't don't come back at me and tell me that there's you know steeps in the Appalachians are actually bigger than the Rockies <laughs> and things like that. I mean, listen, there's there's a lot of things I get it, but we're we're talking about you know overall generalizations here. So, I, I will say I worked. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday. I, I worked over the weekend and saw not necessarily an uptick in volume, but an uptick in patients that had presentations very consistent with. Uh, COVID that were pretty ill. And I had a first for me, which was running a code um, from the outside of a negative pressure room, uh, which is a really bizarre feeling. I was, uh, this patient coded twice on us very briefly in the ED. Um, I uh, first time was in there actually doing compressions because we're trying to minimize number of people in the room. Um, the resident was at the head of the bed, had changed out a uh, superglottic device for an ET tube um, to get that on closed circuit and decrease contamination and definitive airway because hypoxia was a problem. We only had two nurses and a respiratory tech in a room. In addition to that, and then the patient braided down and lost pulses, and I was in the position to do compressions. And let me tell you, you know, compressions with an N95 face mask, uh, plastic oh. gown, uh, all it takes is one round, and I was a uh, stinky, sweaty pig. Yeah, no, I... I- can't imagine uh what that feels like actually it reminds me of the people in the gym that wear those funky uh face masks to decrease their ability to breathe um that have no evidence to show they improve your vo2 max or anything like that but that's a side note i'm, I'm glad i have a decent vo2 max from uh, running and biking otherwise doing compressions pulling through an n95 would have been harder than it was yeah. Um, and, and then there's like a waft of absolute um sweaty stank when i uh finally got that gown off <laughs> 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, man. That's, I mean, that's scary stuff though. Those are, those are the cases that worry us at night and what we think about because they're high risk, uh, cases for us to be around. They're high risk for the rest of our staff to be around and also high risk for that patient. That patient is in a very, very dire situation. And even in the best circumstances, when somebody's coding, uh, you know, your, your chances are slim, but now with everything going on, it's, it's even more difficult. So yeah, and then contrast that with literally standing on the outside of a, uh, we have ICU-style glass sliding doors um, with uh, our negative pressure rooms now are frosted with a uh, slit for um, somebody to look in and see what's going on without it being obvious to anyone who's not standing right at the door. And literally the second time the patient coded, I had already degowned and all that, and now I'm using finger motions and cracking the door open and saying, yep, push the epi, do this, do that, closing the door immediately again with you know, a mask on and, and now not fully gowned, uh, but could see everything that was going on and vitals and whatnot. And that was a, a very bizarre thing too. So, you know, code number one or, you know, compression round number one is on top of the patient running the code in conjunction with the resident. And then round of code number two is outside the room directing traffic, like an air traffic controller and not actually being there. And both of them are surreal experiences. Wow. That's intense. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have anything like that in my shifts, but so far, but even the simple things are scary right now. Um, you know, had a very interesting occurrence where we were swabbing for COVID on a patient who was high risk and exposure and, you know, needed to be swabbed and they, they coughed, uh, during the, the procedure of getting, getting the swab. Sure. Because you're, you're tickling their cerebellum. I mean, it's kind of hard not to cough. Exactly. Unfortunately, you know, the, the nurse who was doing it happened to accidentally be in the way at the time. And so they're getting coughed in directly into their face, even though they're wearing PPE and we're doing all the procedures as best we can. Like that's also very scary just to know that what's in the air potentially. And, um, you know, so it's even the simplest things right now are scary for us. You know, I'm, I'm amazed, um, I know other providers have already been seeing this because their their areas are more endemic or they've had more cases. But you know, getting CTs of the abdomen and seeing bilateral diffuse ground glass opacities at the base of the lungs and on patients that have no respiratory complaints and that aren't hypoxic, and we're seeing evidence of this disease in all sorts of places. And you know, it brings up um, the topic that we're discussing in our emergency department. We had been running a concept of a, um, a dirty pot and a clean pot, and for the last week or so or longer, I've been kind of pushing back against that. Um, not that we really think clean is clean, but that we're calling it the clean pod. And I think that's actually endangering our providers. It, it, there's, there's a hot zone and there's a warm zone. There's no cold zone right now because, yeah. you know, what is it? Uh, Dr. Fauci just said uh, on his, one of his most recent press conferences, 25 to 50% is an estimate of people with COVID are asymptomatic. So that means they can be spilling the disease, shedding the disease without any symptoms whatsoever of it. And the assumption literally has to be that everybody that walks through your door has COVID. Hell, I, I might have it right now and be asymptomatic and shedding it. And, and I don't know. Yeah. And that's, and that's the reality of all of this social distancing and, and why we're doing what we do, because you just, there's no way to know the people that are relying on, Oh, if I feel sick, I won't go out. Like that's, that's not good enough. Yeah, and, and that's why let's talk a little bit about the mask recommendation um, that came out by the CDC. And, and I don't want to get into politics, but man, I couldn't have cringed more to see the leader of the United States immediately 
just undermine the concept of wearing a mask in public. Disheartening. So the idea of the mask is not to protect yourself, but to protect others in case you're shedding a virus, which is the same reason why if you walk into a hospital right now, at least in central Ohio, and I assume in most places, every provider that sees you is going to have a surgical mask on at a minimum. And that's not... I mean, it, I'm sure it provides me some protection, um, certainly covering my face and, and uh, decreasing viral exposure. But more importantly, it's protecting me from potentially shedding something if I'm asymptomatic and um, in front of a patient. But now we're wearing it at our workstations also, anywhere that you can't totally socially isolate yourself. Um, so anywhere in the ED right now, we're wearing surgical masks all the time. And that's so that I'm not exposing my resident, my resident's not exposing me, same thing with the nurses and all that. And that's something that we need to be considering doing in public too. I, I can't tell you how miserable it is to wear a mask for an entire shift. I can uh, tell you how miserable well, it is to wear a mask for an entire shift. Yeah, no, you're right. That's, that was bad phrasing because I can. Um, and, and part of it is, you know, it's, it's hard because it's constantly on your face. You're breathing in this hot, humid air all the time. It's just, it's very uncomfortable, but we do it because we know it's the right thing to do right now. And it's, it's the ways that we can protect our patients and our f- fellow staff members and everything like that. Uh, but man, my ears, my poor ears where the elastic goes behind is it's, if I have any ears left hanging on my head by the end of this thing, I'll be surprised. And I've tried all the tricks, like I've, I've you know, the tricks of the trade uh, with the paper clip and everything like that. I'm about to buy a bandana. I'm going to clip it to the top of the bandana somehow. But there, I've seen those bandanas now with buttons on the sides so yeah, that you can no, clip. Absolutely. Hey, if you buy one, will you buy me one? Yeah. Yeah. All right. For sure. Cool. So we, we've talked about some of the kind of like the negative things that we're seeing. Let's, you know, a few other positive things, you know, I want to at least bring up or touch on. Uh, So several states, kind of like you mentioned at the beginning here, have started to say that current projections, whether or not those hold still remains to be seen, but current projections have us flattening the curve appropriately to the point where our our healthcare systems in those states aren't going to be overwhelmed. So to me, that's one of the most positive things I've seen thus far is that the social distancing is working. People are doing the right thing. They're listening. They're staying home. The problem is going to become that it's going to be very hard to stay home as long as the projections are going to last. But but know that you're staying home right now is doing something. That's the one thing I want people to make sure they know. Yeah, it's it's making a huge difference. It's probably making the pain last longer in that we're spreading that out uh, exactly like you just said. But it's making the intensity of the pain a lot less. Um, and in this situation, it's incredibly important because we're seeing what's happening in New York, what's happening in Detroit, what happened briefly in Seattle and the Washington area when they got their initial spike is it, this medical system is just overrun. Um, and if that can be spread out over the course of weeks as opposed to or, or even months as opposed to a week or two, it makes a huge difference in running out and not running out of equipment, not having to make those end of life decisions and who gets events and who doesn't. And um, those are incredibly difficult conversations and and decisions to make. And we honestly, I don't want to have to make them. Um, And so by spreading the things out, flattening the curve, maybe, maybe we don't have to make those decisions. We can do our best to save everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you people for staying home right now. Yeah, we know it hurts. Um, and, and we feel the same way, right? My kids are stir crazy. It's, uh, it's starting to get nice outside. Uh, I've gotten a lot of yard work. My wife's gotten a lot of yard work done so far, <laughs> taking advantage of this. Um, it, it, it's hard. We're, we're making sacrifices, but it's worth it. And, um, you know, we're going to grow and be better as a society because of this when, when we get through it. I, I firmly believe that. 
totally agree. Um, in conjunction with that flattening of the curve, the current estimates for total deaths in the U.S. has drastically decreased. Um, you know, initial projections when all this started was anywhere from 100,000 to 2 million. And now more recent projections are showing somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000, which, um, you know, that's, that's a lot of people that lives have been saved thus far if we maintain our current trajectory. Obviously, nothing is guaranteed here, but uh, still a lot of deaths um, uh, with that being said. So please continue to do what we're doing now because it's, it's still very dicey. Yeah, don't lose sight of the importance of doing this, right? Um, yeah. It, it, sometimes it's hard. It's, it's hard even for probably you and myself, Tanner, in the emergency department going, where's our volume? You know, we're seeing about 60% or less of our typical volume on a daily basis in the ED. And, and I, well, I do think I've started seeing a, an uptick in COVID-related cases uh, recently, and, and that curve maybe we're at the base of it. Is it starting to, to slope up a little bit? part of me at times wants to say, hey, maybe we're not going to see this. Maybe this is going to just blow us over and it's not going to be a big deal. And you have to resist that thought. I mean, best case scenario, it does blow us over, but that's because of the hard efforts we've been doing. And if we let up now, that all goes to waste. We don't want that. Yeah. I mean, it, I, if, if you want some sober thoughts on these numbers, you know, if even if we hit our current best estimate of 100,000 deaths in the U.S., we're right around 9,500, 10,000 deaths in the United States from this. So we're only a tenth of the way there. A lot of people are going to still die from this. And, and we have to do everything we can from here on out to continue decreasing that curve and continuing to work to figure out how to best take care of these patients when they come in. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about New York. Tanner, what's your take on what's going on there right now? It's crazy, man. Um, you know, we have we have friends, we have virtual friends, um, and then obviously lots of uh, uh, media that are there and and trying to cover this. And it's difficult to grasp, I think. Um, and I think the reality really struck me when I started to see people that I know that live in other states that are traveling there to help out for, you know, however long they can because they're so drastically in need of help right now. Um, you know, they're spread thin. People are very sick there and, and they're having difficulty with resources and all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's, it's the exact thing that we don't want to have happen everywhere else. Um, unfortunately. And, uh, I am, I am very proud of the response that I'm seeing from a lot of the people I know that are, you know, if they have the ability to go out there to help, they are, but, uh, it's, it's scary. It, it to me, it, it sounds terrifying. Yeah, well, we had our first um, that we know of uh, emergency physician death uh, out of the greater New York area, uh, Dr. Uh, Frank Gabrin, um, who's a DO, and uh, Andy Tanner and I are all uh, DOs also. So that hits uh, hits close to home, just knowing that one of our colleagues passed away, somebody um, who trained in the same kind of situation that, that we trained in um, coming out of that area. That hits home, right? That's, that's very uh, uh, sobering. So... Um, yeah, it's real, right? And what they're dealing is, is right in the thick of it. Um, obviously, they're so overwhelmed, they've needed a, a Navy ship to come in, um, which has been its own little debacle. But they're sorting that out, and eventually those beds are going to matter and make a difference. There's a great video that uh, was posted to the New York Times website that we'll share on our uh, blog that uh, is about two minutes inside one of the ICUs um, in New York showing what the providers are going through uh, just with their PPE and whatnot and the craziness. And, uh, I think that makes it very real too. It, it hits home. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, that's one of the things too, that, you know, we need to make sure we hit on for people is 
a lot of people are saying things along the lines of, you know, I, well, I don't live in New York. I don't live where there's so many people packed in so closely and I, I don't take mass transit to work and we're spread out here. So it, it can't, it's not going to happen like that where we live, but please, please keep in mind that there is very, very big differences. Um, also in the terms of resources they have there, you know, they have many, many more hospitals than most of the more spread out areas have. They have more ICU beds available. They have things like that and they're still being overrun. Um, statistically, even a small outbreak in a, an area that is spread out can be too much to overwhelm the resources at that spot. So don't think that just because your area that you live in is different than skyscrapers doesn't mean it can't happen at your spot. Yeah, absolutely. You know, density uh, is one of the reasons why New York is having the the spike that it's having. But because of their population density, there's hospitals, uh, almost as many as there are Starbucks in the city of Columbus. Um, <laughs> because there need to be, right? Because yeah, of a population yeah. density issue. So they're no better or worse off than anyone else as far as uh, beds available. Uh, you got to remember healthcare scales based on the community. So all it takes is an outbreak in a small town uh, to completely overrun that town's medical system. And the scary part right now is the relief valve, which is typically the, the urban centers and your tertiary care centers. They might not have the capacity to take those those patients if an outbreak does occur in a localized area. And then you got to think if you're transferring patients also away, you're exposing more people to it. There's the EMS providers, there's the next round of providers, there's the next hospital, all that. It, it's a cascading system, and then that can spread spread the disease process. So scary stuff. Keep doing what you're doing is the moral of the story here. All right, man. Well, uh, you know how you kind of touched on a little bit, but how's home life? How are you guys handling it? You know, what's what's new? What's different? What's weird? Yeah, nothing new or different than than last week when we talked and did an episode. Right, my uh, procedure's still the same. uh, Trying to be as clean as possible in the house, Um, but as I'm starting to see some increasing cases, it it just I get more and more nervous about what I'm bringing home to the family um, and not wanting to get anyone sick at home. I was talking to my wife last night from, from a distance. We were holding hands, uh, but uh, not not all that close together. So about six feet apart, um, holding hands, laying on opposite sides of the bed before she went upstairs to her other room uh, that she's sleeping in. And um, I got kind of emotional. And, and the, the reality is I just... I, you know, obviously I'm worried about myself. Um, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to have this. But, but more than me, I worry about my family. I worry about my coworkers. Um, I get incredibly emotional thinking about something happening at one of the residents in our program. Yeah. Um, because as, you know, as an attending as faculty, um, I need to be taking care of them. Right. And so all of this just, it, there's times where you just, you break down a little bit and we're not even in the thick of it yet. Right. Uh, so I don't know. Um, you know, the other problem is, uh, just are we emotionally available at home with everyone, the stress that everyone else deals with? And that's something that you constantly rack yourself with is I want to be, I try to be, uh, but, um, I know I'm not as emotionally available to my wife and my kids, uh, and my mom as I, as I should be because I'm so consumed with everything else. So I don't know, dude, how are you? Similar. Um, you know, home life is, is, is good overall, but you know, I can definitely identify with you on those feelings. Um, you know, a few days before my shift, uh, or flying out here to do my do my strings of shifts, it's it's hard for me to be fully there and fully present because in the back of my mind I'm thinking about you know what's the latest news, what's the latest updates on COVID and how I can take care of those patients. 
what kind of risk factors do I need to be worried about when I get there? You know, am I going to show up and there's not going to be the PPE that I was expecting? Or, you know, should I be worried about finding my own backup PPE to have? Like, you know, things that may not actually come to fruition, but I'm still constantly thinking about them. And it's, it's difficult. Um, you know, and I think the other thing that's been really hard, though, is, is trying to define that line of what's okay to do and what's not okay. You know, it's, it's really, really hard to say no to family or friends about doing something. And it gets harder the longer this goes on because, you know, I think that we're human, right? We, we want that social interaction. We want that, that feeling of talking and being around the people that we know and love. And, and when you can't do that as readily as you want, it just, it feels really, really different. Um, so that's, that's tough. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's good. I mean, overall though, you know, still, still doing okay. You know, this, this string of shifts though is going to just like last time when I get home, it's going to change how I interact initially and, you know, see how it goes. I have a little bit of a decon window there that, you know, see how, see what happens and try to be as socially distant and as I can. Um, but it's tough. It's really tough right now. Yeah. It's just a different world. Um, and everyone's a little bit on edge, which is understandable. So, um, you know, on the, on the positive side, we've seen so many really cool things on social media, um, and a little bit in the press about communities coming together behind their healthcare workers, the, um, evening or morning, um, like support parades or people honking or, you know, screaming and singing and whatever from the balcony. I know we posted something from, uh, what was it? Was it, was it Italy, Tanner, that you, Spain. uh, Spain. Spain, sorry, Spain, um, you know, where the police came out and saying, but we're seeing that happen all across the U S and, and friends that we know in their communities, you know, getting cheered as they leave for work, which is, uh, super cool to see. And, um, you know, as, as a provider, I don't need anyone necessarily to do that to me, but just knowing that the community is behind you, um, is a big deal and it helps when you go to work. Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree. I mean, in, in the last week I've had, um, one of my cousins, uh, his wife has sewn masks for me. Uh, one of my other cousins, her husband is trying to make, uh, with his, uh, home workshop, the intubation boxes to help with decreasing transmission potentially during intubations. Um, and, and one of my, one of my best friends called or sent me a text and said, Hey man, I just realized in my garage, I have four masks for woodworking do you need them? Do you want them? Like, you know, and, and that's stuff that, you know, you, you get that text message and you tear up cause you're like, they're, they're thinking about this and they realize where you are and what you're doing. And it makes you, it, it, it helps. It helps with the fear that we have going in, which is, which is a strange feeling. Like normally we don't have fear going into shifts for our personal safety, but right now I do. And that's, that's a very, very strange feeling. Yeah. So thank you to the people who are doing even just text messages and, and thoughts. We, we really do appreciate it. As yeah. me and Drew try not to cry. Yes, we try not to cry. <laughs> well, I think, I think that's probably a good place to leave it right there on a, an emotional high note. You know, we've, we've said before, um, we appreciate all the support, but make sure um, you offer that support to everybody who's going through this. Our... Um, people at the grocery stores at the at the restaurants doing carry out um you know everyone that's trying to make our life as as normal as possible are going through a ton also um and are putting themselves at risk so we appreciate that as much as we appreciate people showing us support and um spread the love to everybody you know this weekend uh just a couple days ago 
Teddy, uh, my son, and my wife uh, picked up donuts from our uh, from DK, uh, the DK Diner, and uh, did a, did a delivery run to Teddy's friends uh, just to to do something nice for his friends. And they rode their bikes around the neighborhood and just dropped off donuts for everybody um, because he just wanted to get out there and make sure his friends still know that he cares. And so little things like that, no matter where it goes or what you do, uh, makes a huge difference. So stay safe, stay home, keep flattening the curve, and uh, uh, we'll talk to you soon. to do it just us two i know have we ever done an episode just us two um a very long time ago and we had recording issues where i was in one ear and you were in the other ear (laughs) i kind of want to do that just for fun for old time's sake